The Business on RT Radio 1 with AIB. We know that your focus is on your business. That's why ours is on supporting you. Good morning. Coming up from heroin to hairdressing, the art of switching off, finding the energy for energy bills and Ken's place in a Barbie world. You can contact us by text to 51551, email thebusiness at rte.ie or tweet to at thebusinessrte. But first, we're joined by a woman who has overcome huge difficulties in her life. Eileen McHugh was born in Dublin. She started dabbling in drugs and dealing drugs while in secondary school. Now she runs Hair Together, an organisation that gives young disadvantaged youths a chance to become hairstylists while focusing on life skills and mental health. And we'll get more of that later. But first, Eileen, you're very welcome. Your own story, you grew up in Ballymun and you came from a hard-working household. Yeah, they were very hard-working. My mum was a cleaner and she supervised other cleaners in Annabelle's nightclub in the old Burlington Hotel there. And my dad was a grave digger. So sometimes kids end up at their parents' workplace. So did you end up at the nightclub or did you end up at Glasnevin Cemetery from time to time? I did indeed. Um, There were six of us and I'd say all the girls ended up working in Annabelle's. It was one of our first jobs. So we were either cleaning in the summer in the morning or working on the lounge in the evenings. Um, So yeah, and my dad, yeah, he used to bring us home all sorts of fancy stones and things from the graveyards. Um, I remember going um, when I was very young up to the graveyard with him and he brought me to my granny's grave. I'm, I'm named after her. She died the year before I was born. And I remember reading Eileen Mary McHugh and nearly having a stroke. I didn't even tell him I was worried. I didn't know whether he was going to kill me or bury me or what was going on. <laughs> Terrified. This was the ghost of Christmas future, was it? That's it. <laughs> and what, would he, uh, how, how would he travel to work? Did he end up cooing and froing in the hearse because he would have been dealing with funeral directors a lot? Do you know what? My dad was, um, he, he liked his few points and his bet after work, so he, ne- he never drove. But I remember uh, when we were younger and he'd bring us on a Sunday or a Saturday down to Finglas with him and the bottom of the hill he used to drink in and we'd be standing at the bus stop and next of all the hairs would drive by and he'd whistle and call him. I'd be like, Dad, please, can we not just get the bus? He's a gang kid. <laughs> He's mortified in case any of you friends saw me getting into the hairs. Yeah. It's a fancy car, but it's the wrong type the of wrong fancy type. car. <laughs> Absolutely. And what about your brothers and sisters? Were they very important in your life growing up? Uh, really important. I think back in the 80s, didn't your mum and dad, they just kind of fed you and clothed you, I think. And that was the extent of the parenting. So it was the, uh, the older brothers and sisters that really kind of looked out for us and gave us time and played with us and guided us, I suppose. So, yeah, absolutely really important. I'm second youngest of six and there's like a seven-year gap between me and the next oldest. So we'd kind of a couple of mums and dads um, looking out for us. So that was nice. Ballymun at that time would have had its own difficulties with high unemployment and, and, and social issues like that as well that stem from it. But at the same time, it, it was and has always been a very strong community. 
Yeah, and it's still the same today. Just there's not much difference. The only thing different is is the flats are gone. But yeah, back in the day, I've really, really beautiful memories of growing up in Ballymun, and I've equally as many horrific stories and experiences. So it's kind of strange place. Um, I went to the local Irish school, so. Uh, school in Chocolate it was called. It was a great school. It was very Republican and you kind of felt part of a group or a community. Um, and they really went the extra mile to to make us feel part of something. We used to go to Irish Mass on a Sunday and then we used to have Kayleys after Mass. And yeah, it, it was nice. For you, things maybe started to go wrong or got particularly difficult round about the time you started secondary school. What happened? Yeah, so around 12, I was kind of the model student up to that. I was captain of the school team. I was very creative, arty, liked music. Um, and then, like, later on, when I was going through therapy, looking back, I kind of understood there was a few significant points at that time that kind of changed the course of my life. I, um, My brother and my sister, that I would have been really close to, um, they moved to London for work. There wasn't great opportunities here, so they left. Um, My mum and dad split up at the same time and, yeah, I was struggling. Um, That's when I started kind of, I was 12 years old when I smoked hash for the first time. Um, And having two daughters myself now, and I think of that, it's pretty crazy. And do you remember much about that at 12 and the first time you, you smoked hash? Was it just somebody else said, here, try this? You, you're thinking to yourself, well, sure, look, why not? It's a bit of crack. It's a bit of fun. Are you thinking more that you're in, a, you're in an unhappy place? Are you aware that you're in an unhappy place? No, not at all. So when you're in Ballymun and kind of drug dealing is pretty, you can, you can see it everywhere and you don't have many people to look up to or many role models. So the role models you see are kind of drug dealers or people that have money or people that are out having to crack off their heads so it's kind of it was exciting it looked interesting and um, I remember the first time we actually scored a, f- a five spot they called it back then probably the whole language is after changing now but um, it was like enough for five joints and we got it sure we hadn't a clue there was probably four of us in my friend's kitchen and um one of them was just kind of thinking of how our, how our dad was rolling tobacco and we were just trying to figure it out. It was hilarious. Um, but yeah, that's how it started. So innocent. And it started with that and then things got progressively worse. Yeah, pretty quickly. Like we liked that and then we moved on to kind of acid and I think I was probably 15 when I took my first E. Um, heroin was a kind of way to come down off ecstasy that time so like you'd be up all night you'd be after taking a few E's and you'd smoke heroin and you'd kind of come straight down off it. But it's a very quick journey from hash at 12 to heroin at 15. I know and do you know what people used to think at the time that there was kind of drug pushers outside of schools and it actually wasn't like that like it's it was really hard to to score heroin at the time like you'd have it was hard. It wasn't readily available, so I kind of seeked it out. Um, and it was like the first time I took heroin, just to explain, it was like somebody put a big warm duvet around me back and it was just like the biggest hug. Even though it made me sick, it made me violently, violently sick, um, the feeling was just pure bliss. Whatever I was worried about just melted away and 
that that what that's what I hung on to it was from that day that was my drug of choice um so looking back now it's just all the pain I was in and the emotions that I couldn't deal with that was I was self-medicating basically and what about friendships Eileen because some people might dabble in some of those drugs even at an early age and then they just sort of leave it aside and they don't move on to heroin and they don't become addicted to heroin what about your friendships how did that play out yeah, and that was the case. I had a lovely group of friends and like that we tried different things together. But yeah, I, I was the one that couldn't stop or wanted to do it during the week and wanted to do it again. And um, I had to go find new friends that would do that with me. And I ended up getting a job in, uh, I think it was, it was Quinsworth at the time on Baggett Street. I think it's Tesco's now. Um, when I was 15 and... I met a girl there that was using and she she was my source for a while and um, she's since passed away but yeah that's I had to find other ways but you were working and you were able to you know sort yourself out to to get to work and to do a day's work and to earn a little bit of money but inevitably I suppose when you get into hard drugs like heroin the cost becomes enormous and somewhere along the line people often end up uh, either dealing in drugs or stealing to, to get the money for a fix. Yeah, so that that was just the way. It was like a survival thing. Um, like I, I started dealing at a pretty early age um, and it was to, fe- to feed my habit um, I wasn't great at stealing or I, I, fa- I found other ways. So I was selling heroin in the blocks when I was 16. I think I started selling. So I'd fifth and sixth year anyway, probably 17, 18. And I'd get up in the morning and would throw my tracksuit. I'd go over and we didn't have mobile phones then. So everyone, all my regulars knew that I'd be over in the blocks um, that early and you'd sell a batch of heroin. So... You'd have enough, you'd sell it and you'd have your fix for the day out of that. So you weren't doing it for money, you were doing it to kind of keep yourself in your habit. And I'd fly home, jump into my uniform and get a taxi down to school. And you were still obviously going to school, you know. I mean, you must have been half out of it during school, or were you? Yeah, like when you when you start taking it, you're, you're pretty out of it, you're pretty stoned. But it gets to the stage pretty quickly where your tolerance builds up really quickly and it gets to the stage where you're just taking it to function. What about the leaving cert? You you did the leaving cert you, and you did your exams. What kind of state were you in when you were sitting those? Yeah, so I felt kind of a bit of pressure to finish my leaving cert. I was the first one out of the six kids to do it. Um, so I did it. And I don't know how I did it. <laughs> I turned up and I did it, but that was about it. I don't remember much of sixth year. Um, I was out more than I was in. And when I was in, I was asleep on the desk. So, um, but yeah, I did it. What about work after that then? And, and this idea of functioning as someone who had a, a, a drug problem and managing to, to hold down a job and to do all of that. It's, at some point, you began to look at it and say, I, I, I need to do something about this. I need to turn myself around. I was always trying to do something about it because I didn't want to be like that. Like I knew I did like life too. I loved, I was creative. I loved sport. I loved hairdressing. I, lo- I knew there was things I liked, but the drugs always had that kind of hold on me. So um, I ended up going 
actually when I was 16, I got sent to Greece for the first time. I'd, my sister that's 10 years older than me, she lived there a very long time. Um, and I went kicking and screaming, but I actually loved it. So when I did my leave insert, I went straight to Greece um, with a plan just to work in bars and restaurants and um, didn't really know what I was going to do. But the main goal was just to get away from where I was and get away from drugs. Did you manage to do that? At the time, I thought it did because I was off heroin. I The first two weeks, I was obviously in withdrawals and things and it wasn't nice for me or my sister. Um, she didn't know the extent of it. I hid a lot, but she could tell it was so... Um, it's really obvious um, when someone's going through that. So, yeah, I, got, I came around and pretty quickly I found another dealer, but it was uh, hash. I was smoking weed every day and bits of coke here and there. Um, but I was off heroin, so in my mind at the time I was clean. I ended up back on it after my first daughter was born. Um, she was about a year old and... I, I caved again and started using heroin. So she was four when I went into treatment. I split up with my partner. We sold our house and I paid for my own treatment. So the, the start of that journey was um, a place called Detox 5 in Leeds. So you basically go and they give you tranquilizers and knock you out for five days while you're over, while you get over the, the worst withdrawal symptoms. That must have been horrendous, was it? Absolutely horrendous. Um, when I went over, I was actually pretty sick. Um, I had I was after been hospitalised a few times in Bowmount with different respiratory issues and things. And when I went over, they told me that uh, I was too ill and too thin to do the detox. Um, and I literally broke down. I was like, I can't go back like this. I'll sign whatever you want me to sign. Just please, I can't go back like this. So I signed whatever. They gave me antibiotics and things for the first couple of days before they started treatment. And yeah, I did it. I was in bits after. To say I was in bits is an understatement. I think my sister described me. I looked like Monty Bournes from The Simpsons. Um, I was so thin. We stayed in a hotel the night she came over to collect me. Um, and I, I remember her face, I don't remember much, but I remember her face looking at me, bawling, crying, bathing me. So I was sitting in the bath and she was washing me and the tears were just like flowing out of her face. Was there a particular moment for you that, that when you look back, was a, a low point that maybe turned things around for you, that, that began, you began to move things in a different direction? Yeah, I suppose... The worst of the worst. I've I'd had a few kind of realizations before this point, but this this was it. Um, so it was in between that detox when I got home. There was like a three four week period where I was on too much medication and too ill to go into residential, a residential Ashiree, but they wouldn't let me in until I was at a certain stage. So it was like a three four week period where it was absolutely horrendous. That movie, Train Spot, and if you can remember when he's doing that detox in the bed and the baby's on the ceiling and kind of at that level of craziness. Um, and I remember I was staying in my mum's house. I couldn't stay there anymore. I knew I was going to use if I stayed. I was going to go off my head. So I went to my brother's house and one of the mornings there was um, like a 20 minute gap where my sister-in-law had to go to work and I think it was me mum was coming over. So... I scored in that time. I got somebody to bring 
bring me some heroin to, to the door and I got it and your man left and I was looking at it going, oh my God, what is actually wrong with you? You're like, after going through all of this, you're upsetting your whole family, your kid is living with your mom, and it was just, what are you doing? So it was that kind of outer body experience where you're like, there's something actually seriously wrong with me, and I don't know what possessed me. I called your mom back and gave it to him. I got through it anyway and made it to Ashley Ree, so <laughs> it ends well, but it's really hard, and I can only imagine what it's like for people that don't have support or don't have money. Hairdressing has been a huge part of your working life and the job that you do now. How, how did you get into it and what is it about it that you love so much? Oh, I just loved hair. It was, it's like a, it was like a spiritual awakening for me when I found hair. It's like I'm really creative with it. I'm really good at it. And I just love, I just get lost in hair. And I love kind of, when I started out, I was getting to meet new people that I wouldn't usually get to speak to. And some of those people become friends and... Like a lot of those people, a lot of those clients like would be solicitors, barristers and a lot of them helped me set up my business. So it was a great way for me to network as well. And, and these were people, all sorts of boxes. Like th- These were people that maybe you wouldn't have been, wouldn't have met or been exposed to before in any other circumstances. Definitely not. So, yeah, it's I'm really lucky I get to like do lots of different things within the hair industry. So I'm an educator for um a company here in Ireland and I get to travel around Ireland teaching stylists kind of different colour techniques, blow drying techniques, cutting cut techniques. Um, so yeah, that's really cool. And then I get to travel Europe and I'm on the Kevin Murphy International Session Styling Team. So I get to go to places like Paris Fashion Week or Copenhagen Fashion Week and style the runway models that are on the catwalks. That's fantastic. Yeah. You, mu- you must be really good at it. Did you discover early on that you, you had a real knack and a real talent for it? Yeah, I was cutting my friend's hair pretty quick and I was always fascinated by it. Like I'd all my little Barbies and my little ponies were always <laughs> deadly looking. <laughs> and, uh, I just loved hair and my own hair is so hard to manage. I have a ginger afro and um, so I, was, I always loved it. And I just switch off when I'm doing it. It's like I remember when I was kind of not on heroin, but smoking weed and different things. Um, and I'd be on the I was crippled with anxiety, panic attacks to work. But I'd be on the bus going in and sometimes I had to get off the bus early before I got to work and I was that bad. And I'd get into Peter Mark and Mary Street and I'd stand behind the chair and I'd be like a different woman. I'd be full of confidence. I'd be like doing great haircuts, great colours I'd get lost in the day and the day I'd finish and I'd walk outside the door and I'd be back to that panicky crazy not able to breathe it was crazy so yeah did, I latched on to it Does it sort of put you in the moment a bit? Absolutely There's a little story actually we with hair together we teach kind of young and vulnerable groups sometimes how to do hairdressing and there was uh, this one story we, we actually adapted to Zoom in lockdown so we delivered equipment out to the young people's houses and we were on Zoom teaching them how to do hair and this particular time there was a group of eight so there was myself and my sister she's the psychotherapist in the company that I'm with now but I'm teaching the hair and she's kind of watching out to see if anyone needs help or and they're kind of following along so there's this one particular girl and she just wasn't paying attention she was off doing her own thing and I said to her 
just say, for example, her name is Anna. Are you okay, Anna? And she's like, yeah, I'm fine. And she wasn't funny. She was doing whatever she wanted to do. She was doing hair, but she wasn't following the class. And uh, we carried on. And then I said to her again, are you... Do you, need, do you need help? Do you want me to show you again? She was fine. So at the end of every class, we kind of check in. So um, we asked them to pick one positive thing from the class that they took from the class. And this particular girl said, I absolutely loved it. And I was kind of taken back. Um, and I was like, oh, really? And what did you like about it? And she said, I loved it because I wasn't thinking of anything else. And that particular girl, oh, I get upset when I think of the story. Sorry. Um, it's okay. Uh, I really related to her because that's what I got and we could tell in the background from her home life that um, she had struggles too so it was lovely because um, yeah I get it she got it even though she wasn't following the class um, she got what she needed to out of of what we were doing Uh sorry it's okay. No, take your time. And you knew in that moment when she said that, it, it opened up a whole picture for you because you could relate to exactly what she was saying and it had done the same for you. Absolutely, yeah. So it's a bit magical. It's a great industry and it's given me so much. So to be able to pass it on to others like that and to hear somebody like saying that back to you, it's pretty special. So, yeah. And, and tell us about Hair Together. How, how did that come about? Um, well, here together we're a social enterprise and we kind of combine wellness activities and education with hairdressing and barbering and our focus is on kind of young people and adults that don't have particularly strong advantages in life or they don't have the chances that regular people do. So I was actually vice chairperson in our local GAA club, uh, Satanta GAA there in the Ballymun Road and there were... Some boys in the club at this particular time that were that were struggling, they were getting into trouble for different things and um, it was coming up to winter and the club shuts down, the pitches are, are logged and does not the same amount of training in the winter time. So we decided to kind of keep them engaged during the winter months. We came up with the best programme and that was bringing education and sports together. So we actually did cooking with them for the first few weeks and they loved that we were learning how to do healthy spice bags and different things and then we took them to the gym and um, I was trying to think of what else we could do with them and I was thinking could you give them scissors and blades and <laughs> bring them <laughs> to the barber shop healthy off spice me. bags is one off, thing but yeah yeah um, they thought I was off my rocker but I, I was I had a feeling it was going to work so um, I contacted a friend of mine that had a barber's and we did it and it was a huge hit and it was the most popular thing we were doing. And then there was other organisations in the community that were looking to do it. They were hearing what we were doing. And that was in 2018. And it was so popular, we set up as a CLG in 2020. And we've been going from strength to strength since. And you have partnerships and contracts with what kinds of, of organisations or groups then? Tusla, um, up in Cavan and Monaghan, we've run programmes at Young People in Care. Um, we've more recently worked with probation. We don't actually choose the young people, but they're usually young people that may be struggling or they're not turning up for school or they're after getting in trouble with the guards or different reasons. We don't ask and we actually don't. We, we never really want to know. Um, we kind of... Sh- 
we focus on what's right, not what's wrong. So when when they come to us, we're not concerned about what they've done or or like the the ladies from the probation service. We don't care why they were in prison or when they cross our door. We're just literally focused on kind of trying to pull out their strengths and creativity. But they they do have issues, um, and that's why they're where they are, I suppose. You've come so far in your own life, Eileen, and what you have done and what you have achieved. When you look back on that and you look back at those years, probably very chaotic and very painful years, do you feel lucky to have come through it to where you are now? Or do you look back on lost time or time that you you, you could have done this or you could have done that? How, How do you look back on it? Richard, I would not do it again if you paid me all the money in the world. <laughs> but I am so grateful like for every single obstacle I had to go through because I learned from every single one of them. And I feel really strong today. I feel like I'm so well equipped to help others and of a team around me and support around me that I, like it's beyond. I'm so grateful. I wake up every day grateful. I skip out the door every day and I'm actually the happiest person I know. <laughs> By no means, like, I'm still learning, I'm still developing, but I'm content and I'm happy and I wonder if I would be as content and happy if I hadn't have gone through that. But I don't regret anything. I've learned from all of it and I'm just happy now to be able to serve the community and make it better. Like, it's kind of, we're trying to create something that wasn't there for us. So, yeah, I'm super happy doing what I do. You've shown such strength, Eileen, to come through all of that to where you are now. Where do you think that came from, that strength? I don't know. (laughs) I think a lot of it has been, it was the opportunity to actually, like going into treatment. I never, okay, so you have kind of people that are drug addicts and alcoholics and they don't hit rock bottom or don't end up in hospital or nearly using their kid and they just kind of plod along. But when you hit rock bottom, the only way is up. And I think when you're forced to do counselling and you're forced to look at yourself and figure out why you're the way you are, I think I think it's from that. Like, I'm continuously working on myself. Like, I, I'll always do a bit of therapy or a bit of inner work. So I think that and kind of knowing who I am and what I want to do and having purpose in my life, like, drives me. It's, it's great. It's a good feeling. Well, Eileen, you've got an amazing perspective on, on what you have achieved and what you've done and you've shown such huge strength. Eileen McHugh, CEO of Hair Together, thank you very much for joining us on the programme. Thanks for having me, Richard.